Welcome. You're listening to Community, a podcast about eco-villages from the European Eco-Village Network, Gen Europe. Hi, this is Fran Whitlock, and this is episode one of Community, the Eco-Village podcast. In today's episode, we'll be hearing about a journey of transformation. Is change really possible, or is eco-village life only for the already converted? We set out to explore what changed one person's life and values, following his journey from a secure job in a multinational company to life in a rural eco-village. But before we dive in, a few words about the podcast. It's created by Gen Europe. Gen Europe's the European network for eco-villages and sustainable communities. Our vision is of a conscious, resilient and sustainable Europe where eco-village and community values and lifestyles are widely adopted. We're launching this podcast as a space to help navigate the uncertainty and complexity of the times we're living in through the lens of what we know best, living in community. What we've seen in 2020 has shown us that community and cooperation is more necessary than ever, and we want to offer listeners a glimpse into the alternative realities that exist here and now, and perhaps inspire you to explore them yourself. So if you've been feeling like there's something missing, like perhaps there's some way better to live, and you want to find out what that is, this is the podcast for you. We'll be sharing with you a mix of personal stories from eco-villages to inspire you on your journey, explorations of key topics and burning questions about community life, and above all, accompany you on your journey to a more resilient, sustainable way of living with people and planet, wherever you are. You can find podcast info and episodes at geneurope.org podcast, and visit our website, geneurope.org, to learn about the European Eco-Village Movement. So, one of the most common questions we're asked at Gen Europe is, how can I join an eco-village? And today's episode is about the journeys that people take to become eco-villages. Because unless you're actually born into one, there's no one easy path to take. On today's episode, we're talking to Angel Matilla. Angel is a friend and a colleague, and since I met him, I've been fascinated by the process he underwent before deciding to join an eco-village. He's a telecommunications engineer from Barcelona who's taken quite an unusual journey to where he is today, living and working in Artera Bezimodo community in northern Spain. Welcome, Angel. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Fran. So just to begin, Angel, tell us a bit about your life before you discovered eco-villages. What was your job, how you spent your leisure time, that kind of thing? Well, you could say that uh, I lived um, quite full on the mainstream world. Um, I'm, I'm an engineer, I'm a telecommunications engineer. I lived in Germany. I was working for the automotive industry. Uh, in the last few years, I had quite a responsibility in my field. So I was a project manager, um, you know, very specialized job. So receiving a quite okay salary. So, um, I only had to do my office job and then the rest of all my other needs, I was just um, buying them basically. So quite, quite a mainstream life. So you were working in the automotive industry and did you ever think about the impact of that industry or did you question at the time your, your career choices or were you just happy going along with what was a good job, a good salary, a comfortable life? Hmm. I did. Um, 
I mean, to be honest, like I know that there are people that have been like, uh, it, it appears that since, since they've been born, they've been questioning everything. And somehow the way my mind worked, or I think works, is that I focus on, on the problems and I try to solve them. And uh, then I go to the next problem and I solve it. Um, so for a very long time in my life, I was basically, um, yeah, I knew pretty much what, what my path was and I was not questioning it too much. Like I had to study, I had to get a good job, uh, I had to um, yeah, achieve a better outlook and more responsibility, solve all the problems. And I would say sustainability or yeah, all these uh, questions were always in the back of my, of my head, but they never jumped into the foreground until a very specific moment in my life. So I would say until quite far along in the path, I was still, yeah, only subtly questioning my choices. <laughs> and so what was that moment? What was the turning point for you? So it was, um, I mean, as I said, like, it, of course, it's, it's, a, it's a gradual path, but there was a very specific moment in 2011 that was worldwide it was quite an exciting moment actually uh, we had uh, the whole um, Arab Spring movement um, then we had the um, indignados the indignants uh, movement in Spain and then there was this whole Occupy movement so all of that happened on that year and by that time so I think it was quite uh, a good match um, because by that time I already had my, my job, I already had achieved pretty much most of the goals that had been set either by me or by somebody else in my life. And then I had the time and I was, I've been always curious. So I had the time to investigate and then I, um, I joined one of the demonstrations, um, not because I wanted to demonstrate, but because I was really curious why people were demonstrating because actually the people were demonstrating for many different um, things that were not going right in, in Spain. And I was living quite comfortably in Germany. I had pretty much my life solved. So I really, I, I felt like I wanted to know. And then I started finding out about many things. Um, specifically one, there was one revelation that, that hit me quite hard. Um, I mean, it, it was, there were, there were many things, but uh, specifically the, the points uh, about uh, the concept of peak oil and how much we are dependent on fossil fuels and how few years we actually have left of, not, not of fuel itself, because there is um, plenty of resources, but um, how many, uh, how few years of cheap energy we actually have left um, if we follow the normal mainstream system that we've been using. And, and that hit me really hard because then I realized that all the, the life path that I had set before me um, suddenly had no, no more meaning. Like I, I had imagined myself retiring and I mean, and now I'm going to joke, but I was imagining like as another German citizen going to Mallorca, you know, on, on holidays and um, yeah, no, but like many, many of my, of my life choices and suddenly started crumbling, crumbling down. And, and then that started a whole process within me of starting to, to read about it, to starting questioning everything and open my mind to think of a, in a more holistic way, uh, which led finally to where I am today. Mm. And 
how did you feel during that time, during that process of discovery, of realizing that things weren't, uh, weren't necessarily as you'd been thinking about them, that they weren't as they seemed? Did you go through a kind of emotional process? It must have been quite challenging. Yeah, yeah, it's, it was definitely not easy. I mean, it took, it took a long time until I decided to quit my job. Um, so I remember there were some highlights along the way, like between, like, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with the five stages of grief. So I would say like, I underwent something similar. In the beginning, I was, I was actually questioning like the information that I had received because it was such, um, such a different perspective to the world that the one that I had been living in for such a long time that in the beginning, I just started reading a lot of material and I tried to debunk uh, you know, like in these times of post-truth, it's it's really good to stay informed and try to look at different sources. So I did that for, for quite a few months until at some point I I kind of started admitting the, the sad truth that uh, I had been living um, in a system that was about to collapse, basically. Um, and, and then that's, that's, when, that's when it really hit me. And, and then... Yeah, I guess like you could say that while I was being, I was informing myself, I was already trying to say like, no, this cannot be, this cannot be true, you know? And I was still trying to, to live my life, but there was like something nagging me on the back of my head until that grew bigger and bigger. And at some point it, it was, it was too big. So around two years after that, I, I went on a, on a trip where I basically just went on, on my own and I just sat with myself and reflecting about all those things and then i i kind of laid down a, a path you would say like my life mission or what i wanted to do on the light of these new circumstances yeah and then it took me until 2016 to quit my job actually and started start doing something else so it was a long time where this thing that i said that was on the back of my head started growing bigger and bigger until it was really hard for me to just live a mainstream life and go to work uh, while I knew that all these things were happening in the world and then simply I couldn't take it anymore so, so really it got to a point where where you sort of daily you couldn't take it anymore you really felt that it was just totally incoherent the way you were living with what you were seeing in the world yeah yeah and then maybe it's also worth mentioning that uh, there was a time like through, throughout this whole process where where I said like, okay, maybe it's, maybe it's even too late for me to do anything. You know, I've been like doing these things all my life and, and I've been like pointing all my, my life choices and my career through like towards this goal. So maybe it's too late and maybe it's, it's not worth doing anything. Fortunately, that's not how I am. So I went through that phase and at some point I said, okay, okay, I don't want to spend the rest of, of my life regretting knowing something and not doing anything about it. So... So then I enter in the phase of acceptance and, and that's when I started doing pretty cool things. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk about that. So you, you got to this, this place of acceptance, having gone through this whole process. Um, so what was the journey actually into moving into an eco-village? What were the steps on the way to doing that? Mm. Well, uh, during, during the years that I started um, learning, like first I, I tried, as I said, to debunk um, all these new concepts about the world. And when I realized that uh, they were right and uh, the current model was unsustainable, 
I started researching for um, other possible ways of uh, organizing society, organizing the economy, etc. And then I, I came across the, um, the, the idea of the concept of, of eco-village, of an international community, of the four dimensions of sustainability. And then I thought, well, I mean, like everything that I've, that I've been reading so far tackles some of the problems. Um, but here I have a, a quite a good solution that um, in, a, in a networked way tries to tackle everything at once, which makes a lot of sense to me. I've, I've been always tr trying to, to see the big picture of everything and I'm not a friend of just tackling uh, individual problems one by one without understanding the repercussions um, between them. So I was quite amazed by, by, by these concepts and then I decided to give it a go. And um, I think through a friend of a friend, I, I um, found about uh, the Ecovillage uh, conference, now Ecovillage gathering, organized by Gen Europe. And um, I decided to join. Um, and as I had a lot of free time because I had already quit my job, um, I decided to volunteer as well. And that was quite a life-changing experience. Uh, it was uh, three really intense, amazing weeks where I was uh, bombarded with a, a lot of new information and experiences, emotions that were quite alien to me uh, in my previous life. And since then, um, I volunteered in other eco-villages and until finally, I had the possibility of living in an eco-village and actually working for uh, uh, Gen Europe, as you well know. <laughs> And so how is your life different now? Well, maybe first you can say um, where you're living now. And how is your life different now uh, when you look back um, at where you were, say, five or six years ago? Well, so now I live, uh, and that's actually quite funny how life works sometimes, because the, the very first eco-village that I visited as a volunteer, which was for this very first uh, eco-village gathering that I participated in, was... Artera Visimodo, this uh, eco-village in the north of Spain that I currently live in and work uh, for Gen Europe here. So, um, yeah, it, I didn't decide to stay just because it was the first one, because I visited several after that, but somehow life brought me back to, to the initial point, which was kind of interesting. And regarding to your second question, um, when I think about my, my life before, uh, as, I, as I mentioned briefly, um, I was very much used to, to do a very specialized task, which um, took uh, more than eight hours of my every day, and sometimes even weekends. And all the rest of my needs, I was uh, covering by just buying them, because of course the mainstream capitalistic system allows for that. And I was uh, earning, um, enough money that I could just not think about it and just cover all my needs with that. I've never been uh, a big spender either, but um, it was the easy choice. And, and um, I could say that what has changed since then definitely is that I'm, I'm trying to, to live in a way where I do not depend so much on the money I earn. I mean, among other things, because I don't earn so much money anymore, mm -hmm. but I, it's also a conscious choice to maybe not uh, dedicate all my time to the specific task and learn about other, other things, other skills in a more sustainable and, and resilient way. I've been also trying to 
to actively degrow, uh, actively um, consume less things. And um, I'm trying, not always succeeding in, but I'm trying to live my life in a slower uh, way. I would say also another thing that has changed for the better, definitely, is that I am working and living and doing things that are all focusing towards something that I consider worth spending my time in. And that's uh, completely in sync with my worldview. So that small thing that grew bigger on the back of my head, now it's gone, basically. And I think one of the reasons that I'm so interested in your story and your experience um, is because it gives hope that big changes can happen in individuals. I think sometimes we look at society as, as it is today, we look at what we call the mainstream and people who work within the mainstream and we think that uh, the systems in place are just too big, people are too comfortable, it's, um, it's too hard to imagine people making this big change in their lives. And, and so hearing you speak about your story and the change you underwent um, gives us a bit of an insight into the kind of processes that I think may be happening to people now as we're in this period of uncertainty. I mean, do you think that what's, what happened to you might be happening to more people at the moment in the current crisis? I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure it does. Um, so I've been actually reflecting quite a lot about that because when I decided to, to make this big shift in my life, I was actually telling people about it. And you can imagine the reactions. Uh, some people were telling me that I was crazy. Some other people were directly not believing in my message. As I said, like nowadays, the post-truth is um, might be quite complicated to navigate. Some people simply are not aware um, of the flaws and all the contradictions of the current system. Um, some people cannot uh, allow themselves because they are maybe they are in such a short budget and they don't have options to actually make that change. And that's really unfortunate, but that's also a, a result of, of the world that we're living in. Uh, and of course, I mean, I don't know how much we can do about, about those people, but there are many, there are plenty of people that are actually uh, able to reflect about that and, and to even realize what's going on. And even among those, I found that the majority of them are actually um, yeah, down, downplaying the effects of that or not really wanting to believe in it or, um, you know, they get lost in, um, in this bargaining uh, stage of, of grief, what we were talking about before, um, where they say maybe if, you know, if I buy eco products and I recycle, then it's going to be good enough. And then they keep on doing many other cycles that are also um, quite negative because they are still within a system that it, it's, I mean, the, the system is the problem itself. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I have really, certainly I have hope. If not, I would not be recording this podcast with you. <laughs> but, but it is true that it's really easy to, to uh, get lost in this, um, in this lying to yourself and thinking that, okay, maybe it's not that bad or maybe there will be somebody on the government that they already have thought about this and they will save uh, everybody. Uh, or technology will save us, or, um, I mean, there are many mind tricks that you can, you can trick yourself into in order not to make a change in your life, because also it's really easy not to make a change when, when you're on, on this comfort zone. Um, it's, it's 
quite complicated too. I mean, it took me several years. Um, yeah, you're speaking from experience here. I guess you you played these tricks on yourself. All of them, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I guess I don't know. I do not consider myself especially brave. I think I was just. Um, yeah, I think it was just a consequence. I, I understood at some point that if I didn't do anything, I would be regretting that for my whole life. And I wish more people would undergo that that process and maybe not only trigger um, the action through through that uh, negative side, but also through all the beautiful things that um, that you can get by living life in a in a different way. I mean, I not only by living life in a more um, synchronized way with my values, but also I feel that I'm more connected to the natural uh, rhythms, to, to nature. I'm connected to people in a healthier way. So all those things, I think, make my life richer and happier. And what's your favorite thing about living in an eco-village now? Well, I don't know if I have one single favorite thing, to be honest. Um, I've never asked myself that question. I don't know. I think, I think it's really a mix of all the things that I was telling you before. I could not single point uh one specific thing fair enough and i'm just thinking you um commented on some of the barriers to, that people face um making this shift in lifestyle either it's it's mental barriers or comfort or or not or not having the ability to make that change because obviously you were coming from a place where you had a stable job and i guess some financial resources behind you which made it easier to make that shift once you'd had the mental, the, the mindset shift. Um, what do you think needs to change in order to make eco-village lifestyles more accessible to more people who might want to make that change? Mm. Well, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, I would say, like, I would say that we need, we need a change um, in mind of many people. And it normally it's... Uh, a slow process that takes over many generations and then people through education um, make that the next generation is much more aware of certain things. Unfortunately, we don't, we don't have that time anymore. So we have to make people aware in a very short uh, span of time. So I think um, on the one hand, offering uh, eco-village lifestyle alternatives um, in different places and try to make it as accessible as possible by using the resources of the, of the eco-villages or by networking with other eco-villages or even by advocating to um, bigger um, uh, political spheres and making political changes in laws that would make it easier and more accessible to live in an eco-village are definitely valid uh, steps. So I think there, it's, there is not just one recipe for it. There are multiple things that we have to undergo at the same time for it to, to really be happening. And communication, communication, communication. Thank you, that's what I liked here. And yeah, on, on future episode, episodes of the podcast, we're gonna be talking about things like eco-village economy, about diversity and accessibility in eco-villages, and some of these other aspects that we've touched upon about what the challenges are for people to, to enter into communities. Um, I just wanted to maybe ask you, one last thing. So you're not this, perhaps what people might think a sort of stereotypical eco-villager is. I mean, do you think, what do you think the stereotypes 
are of uh, the kind of people who live in eco-villages and, and what would you say about those stereotypes from your personal experience? Well, I think there was a very um, hard campaign um, against uh, the hippie movement on the 70s. And I think uh, this still nowadays resonates a lot. Um, and many people in the mainstream, they think about eco-villagers as, as a bunch of hippies that do not work. And that's quite, quite far from the truth, actually. Uh, so you have to work really hard in an eco-village. I mean, of course, really hard uh, thinking in terms of um, not, not like as a paid job, but we, we, do, uh, we do work uh, inside the um, eco-villages to, uh, to sustain ourselves. So it's, uh, they're quite organized places. Um, and yeah, I mean, I could, I could debunk uh, all the other myths. Uh, what it's true is that we question um, many lifestyle choices from the mainstream. Um, by, by practicing uh, other kinds of economy, uh, social, social engagement. Um, yeah, I don't know if I answered your question with that. <laughs> it could be, I, could, I could talk for, uh, for quite a while on that topic. <laughs> but, but, so you definitely say that the, perhaps the common misconceptions about what eco-villages are and who eco-villages eco are are just that. They're misconceptions and they don't match up to the reality of what eco-village life is? I mean, there are some things, I, there is a huge variety of individuals in every eco-village and there are many different kinds of eco-villages. And of course, I think the common point of an eco-village, of all eco-villages is actually that we do not take uh, all the things that have been laid down in the society for granted, but we reflect and we try to find the most uh, sustainable and resilient way um, to live with each other. And not, that does not mean just on the ecological sphere, but also, uh, for example, on the social one. And finally, what gives you hope for the future? Well, um, actually seeing, seeing this movement getting stronger and uh, living and getting to know every time more and more people that are actively engaged or want to engage in these holistic ways of, of making the world a better place, that's actually really refreshing. Before moving into an eco-village, uh, I was kind of the only one, like a, like a, a doomsayer. I was uh, like preaching doom among my friends who were living in the mainstream world. And, and yeah, that was really discouraging. And now at least um, I can see every time more and more people that are um, yeah, that are really aware and willing to make a change in the world and I hope that uh, we become every day more and more. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Angel. It's been a pleasure talking to you and um, hope to have you back on the podcast soon. Thank you so much, Fran. Anytime. Bye-bye. When we started the podcast, I knew I wanted to interview Ángel because his transformation gave me hope that all sorts of people, even those on an established career path, seemingly living a very conventional sort of life, can transition to community living. But I also knew that his wasn't the only story that had to be told. While Ángel's established career and good salary didn't make the mental and emotional transition he went through much easier, I think it may make practical things easier once the decision is made to make a radical change. 
Throughout this podcast series, we'll be hearing from people from all walks of life who found home in eco-villages. But there was another person in particular I really wanted to speak to for today, today's episode. Pepe Alberawi is from the south of Italy. His mother's Italian, his father's Egyptian. He encountered eco-villages in his early 20s after living and working on a petrochemical tanker, working out at sea for months at a time. I met him three years ago as he was beginning his experience of eco-village living. And he's another person who really challenged my own perceptions of the kind of person I thought would be attracted to eco-villages. As he's answering my questions, Pepe tells me that he's by the river, enjoying the sunlight on the greenery around him. And I find it quite moving hearing him talk about finding the place in nature that he was searching for for so long while working out at sea. Come ho conosciuto il mondo arterrano, il mondo delle caldea? When I was working on oil tanker ships, I had a long time to think and realized that I was missing nature, missing being with family, people you consider family, not just your blood relatives, and being able to think about other things than work, without pressure, without always looking at the clock. So all this got me thinking. I had many conflicts with myself, with my head, with the teachings received from my parents, like that those who work are important, that without a job you won't get anywhere. My father always told me, if you don't have a job by the time you're 26, you'll be a failure. So the only thing I was taught was work comes first. So in the beginning, I followed these teachings, like all good children. But eventually, I couldn't stand it anymore. and was thinking of how to leave this path. So I was doing some research and thought perhaps the problem was being on the oil tanker, not being close to nature on land. So I found work on land and I saw that it was the same thing. Nothing changes. Always the unhappiness of having hourly shifts to respect. Watching the clock, coming back tired and having very little time for what you really want to do. There are a few of us that really do what we would like to do because in the end we're always doing something that others have forced us to do. So I also spent some time with myself, a little depressed, a little serious, and started looking for alternative ways of living. And then looking for this, I found the world of eco-villages. But I didn't even know how to go and introduce myself there. How it works. Do you pay? Do you not pay? I didn't know anyone. I was a bit fearful. I've always been a bit introverted. But eventually I found a volunteering page called European Voluntary Service that had many nice options. When I found they were looking for volunteers in eco-villages in Spain, I thought, wow, this is what I was looking for. So I left and spent six wonderful months there. And there I met a family of so many people who have accepted me for what I am. They were kind, smiling, helpful. They were really all of them like my parents or friends or brothers and sisters. I asked him if this kind of lifestyle was one he'd ever talked about with his family and friends growing up. Uh, neither my friends nor my family knew about the world of the eco-villages. Indeed, I remember when I found the volunteering and I told my friends I was going to an eco-village, they asked me, what is an eco-village, like a tourist village? And they didn't understand. Even I didn't know much at the beginning, and even my explanations were not as precise as what I found here in the end. I didn't find what I thought I would. Everyone has their own idea until they discover for themselves. And I found that in the end, it's not so far from everyday life. It's true that you do need to do a process at first. There aren't some comforts in quotation marks that we have at home. But we all have bathrooms, electricity, and many rooms. 
Everyone has their privacy, but there is also the collective part. The collective part is not only production, self-sufficiency, or trying to improve a place we live in, but also trying to have a more personal relationship, in the sense of opening up with other people. It's not only neighbours, like you'd have at home where you say good morning, it's also part of your eco-village, it's almost part of the family, even though they're not your blood relations. It's people who love you as if you'd always been there, like a son or a brother. All of this has been a beautiful experience for me. And what about family? How did they react to all of this? I remember when I invited my mother to come for the first time. Well, she knew I was in an eco-village, but like everyone else, she didn't know what it was all about. She didn't say anything to me. Luckily, she didn't judge me. She said, I know you're a good guy and you always get by. Then when I was here three months or so and I'd learned the language, I told her to come. She thought a lot of things, a community, people living together, a community of drug addicts, that I'd be sleeping on the street or something, lacking a lot of things. But she saw me changed, more smiling, more serene, because at home I wasn't doing well, and she saw that I'd learned a language, I'd learned many other things. She saw me as if I were a child again, that's what she told me, that when I was a child I was like that. In the end it's about trying to find the child within you, being here, you find the child inside you. You find a middle ground where you can do things like an adult, but have fun like a child. Over the years, I've conducted several pretty unscientific straw polls about perceptions of eco-villages. The answers are pretty predictable. Hippies, dropouts, perhaps the odd burned-out Silicon Valley executive. But like Angel, and indeed so many people I've met, Pepe defies such stereotyping. I ask him what he thinks about stereotypes of eco-villages. Are they true? Yes, I think there are stereotypes about people who live in an eco-village. Maybe they think that they're people who don't want to do anything, maybe people who take drugs, maybe people who are flower children. People think a lot of things, but in the end it's nothing more than people who work to produce what they need, who work a lot on themselves. It can be the body, it can be emotions, their mind, maybe meditating, maybe working on an emotional level. But no one forces you to do it. Pepe is out by the river answering my questions. I can hear water and birds in the background, and it seems a far cry from those months on the oil tanker. How has his quality of life changed since moving to a community? Yes, I think in the end my quality of life has improved a lot. There are a lot of differences to how it was before. Less work stress, I don't need to work so much to earn because I have to pay for the car, I have to pay for the house, because I have to pay the bills. No, I need less. I pay rent here, but it's much smaller. I don't have a car, but I share one with another person, so we share the costs. I have a job outside the community and in my free time I do things here in the place where I live and also being with my partner and our dog and going for walks. Now in September we're picking many things and there are fruit trees, being in nature and working in our vegetable garden. Pepe and many other young people like him had their first eco-village experience through the European Solidarity Corps. Dozens of eco-villages run funded volunteer programs with all costs covered. And Yes to Sustainability, a youth-led programme, also offers shorter-funded explorations into the eco-village world. If you know a young person interested in finding out more, there are more details on our website.
You can find more resources about eco-villages at geneurope.org. And if you've enjoyed the show, we encourage you to become a supporter. You can become a member of Gen Europe or make a one-time donation at geneurope.org donate. Subscribe to our newsletter and check us out on social media to get news about eco-villages and upcoming events. Finally, we'd love to know what you think. Send us a message on Facebook or drop us a line via our website to let us know what you thought about the podcast and what you'd like to hear from us. Thanks for listening.